Artists and creatives, you have the power to heal, transform, and elevate lives. Are you ready to step into your power? Welcome to Superfan Attraction. Hello, I am your host, Diane Foy, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to my guest today. Michelle Simone Miller is a New York City-based actress, podcast host, and communications coach. Her credits include Homeland, Blue Bloods, Winter's Tale, and a lead role in the MTV scripted show, One Bad Choice. Her podcast is Mentors on the Mic and features interviews with accomplished mentors in the entertainment industry, including showrunner Marta Kaufman from Friends, actor Tony Goldwyn from Scandal, many more. As a communications coach, she uses her acting training and performance background to incorporate play into professional development. In our interview, we first start with hearing about her acting journey, which started as a young child, and then she gives us some great tips about public speaking or speaking on video and reducing filler words, and also when storytelling, how to draw on the five senses to really draw people in your story. I hope you enjoy it. And to learn all about your creative journey, as well as you have some fantastic tips for all of us on storytelling and being prepared for video. That's a good one. That would have been good for me today. (laughs) I wasn't that prepared. Um, So why don't you just start off by like introducing yourself and we'll go from there. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Uh, So I would start off by saying I'm Michelle. I am an actress and podcast host and communications coach. So I do a lot. And so every day is a little different, which is lovely. Um, So as an actress, I mostly focus on TV and film and commercials, though I do have a theater background as well. Um, For communications coach, uh, which is wonderful, about four years ago, I was able to figure out a way with other people's help and mentorship uh, to convert my acting background and acting training and be able to communicate that to practical tips for different clients and classes. So I, that's what I do now as well. I teach classes, I have a membership and I have private clients as well as some corporate trainings that I do where I use my acting background to help with public speaking and storytelling for professionals and things like that. And then um, lastly, I have a podcast. I host a podcast called Mentors on the Mic, where I interview different people in the entertainment industry, like showrunners, executive producers, directors, agents, about how they started and how they moved up in the business. Cool. You're like me, multifaceted. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we like want that. to do a million things at once. So how did it all begin? Like, what first interests you as a child uh, in the arts? Was it acting? How did you... How did I start? Yeah. Yeah. So I was very lucky. My public school in New York City, my elementary school, had a drama class. And I had a teacher who would teach very basic stuff. So like things like, um, I don't know if you ever had those... uh, those little cartoon books um, called like Mrs. Bossy Pants and Mr. This. And so we would just essentially read them, but perform them on this little mini stage that she had in this class. Um, And at some point I learned about the drama club and that they were doing shows for the drama club. 
And I remember there was a specific moment and I, I don't know exactly how old I would say six or seven years old. I was by a big piano, I think. And it hit me. Oh, people can do this as a career. And I just felt instinctively like that's where I'm supposed to be. Like I am supposed to do this for the rest of my life. I just knew it innately deep inside. And I was acting ever since. I was in every show, every chorus performance. I was asked in the second grade to be on the Rosie O'Donnell show for a couple episodes. So I did that. Um, Later, I did Off-Broadway when I was like 11 or 12. So I just consistently found acting classes and acting camps and theater and just anything that I could do that, you know, so that I could act. I I just took it up every opportunity. Was your family creative? I would say no. Um, weirdly enough, you know, it's funny. No one's ever asked me that. I, I My mother is in mortgage, so she's really analytical and math oriented. Um, and my father has done various things, but mostly in sales. Um, and I wouldn't say either. Of, I mean, I think everyone is a certain level of creativity, like For a sure. certain level of creative, but n- none of them are in the arts at all. I relate to you because I've been asked that question a lot on different podcasts and they're always surprised when I go, no, <laughs> to my, my family, not creative. My, my brother and father don't even like music. What the hell? And, um, and they always find it surprising because I guess a lot of creatives have just been lucky that their family has been really creative or, you know, if you're a singer, but maybe your mother was an artist, you know? Um, So that's, yeah, it's interesting that how somehow we found that creative world is what drew us in. And so it sounded like you were really busy um, as a child. How did you manage like doing all that as well as school? And did you ever feel pressured to manage it all at so young? Um, I would say I didn't feel it at all because it always just felt like this really fun hobby I got to do. And I was always really good at school. Um, I was always good uh, at, at just getting good grades and studying and that kind of stuff worked really well for my Virgo brain. I really love being organized. I love, you know, assignments and deadlines. And so uh, in a creative journey, it's been weird not having that. Like I, no one's giving me any deadlines and, and, you know, uh, goals, I kind of have to create my own and adhere to them all the time, which is interesting. But as a kid, it didn't feel like a balance until um, I did this off-Broadway show, like I said, when I was 11. Um, It was called I Never Saw Another Butterfly. It was all about the Holocaust. And it was amazing. But I was constantly busy with that one. That one I had to go, you know, I sometimes had to leave early to go to rehearsal. I would work every day. I worked weekends. Um, We were preparing for the showcase for a really long time. It was eight shows a week. And I just remember constantly having to balance the two. And I loved it. I didn't feel any sort of which way about it, but I remember my mother going, I don't think this is something we can keep up for her. Like she could do this as a hobby, but now that that was sort of branching off into career stuff and like professional stuff, my mom was like, I think we're going to have to like make this be the last sort of job that she would have. um, That was like that because I don't, she didn't want me to have to balance the two. And I think as a mom, she didn't want me to, she didn't want to balance the two with me, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And so when did you start to decide, like, I guess in high school, we're supposed to figure out what we want to do with our lives? Um, Were you still like, I'm still doing the acting thing? 
people kept thinking I was going to change my mind. They were like, oh, okay, you'll grow out of it. Like everyone grows out of like their first sort of desire. And I never did. I think very instinctively, I just always knew this is what I want to do. And that carried through high school, that carried through college. I knew this is what I wanted to do. And I was just figuring out, okay, what's the best journey for me to get there? Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think I always knew and, and I always was doing anything I can to keep up with my acting as a, as a sort of means to the goal that I had for myself. Right. What did you study in college? Was it acting? I, I double majored in English and theater, specifically with the acting track for theater. And then I minored in business. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> the business side of it. You know, like so I need many to know artists. I need to know what I'm doing. I wish I learned more about the business and the intersection between business and creative pursuits, but yeah, it was still it, with that purpose in mind. I was like, okay, I should study business because if this is something I want to do, I need to know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. So many of us don't think of that till later. <laughs> and, or, you know, it, I took a lot of different creative programs and there was always that marketing course, right. but it wasn't really taught to us in a way that was realistic for like an artist. It was like, yeah. it was a typical college marketing course. So yeah. you learned about Pepsi ads and, you know, yeah. like, how does that relate to an artist trying to run a business? A hundred percent. Yeah. There's this and, intersection that I, I wish that they pursued more in college because yeah. there's one thing to study financial accounting. It's another thing to go, okay, this is something practically I have to do for myself. Or there's yeah. something to... We, we studied a lot of business case studies, which I really loved in my entrepreneurship and innovation class. But I wish we've studied more that are related to creative or like independent yeah. contractors. Yeah. I think for a lot of us, we just had to figure it out ourselves by doing yeah. the hard way and learn the hard way. Um, but yeah, wouldn't that be cool if it was a course of like, okay, this is how to manage a freelance career. Exactly. This is how you can maybe have multiple streams of income. Exactly. <laughs> I wish. Okay, we'll make it happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so then what was your journey after college? And till, till now. Until yeah. now. So it was a lot of things. I, I graduated in college in 2011. And uh, right away, I was like, okay, he did hit the ground running. I want to be an actor. And I pursued it with everything. I mean, almost in, in what I sort of look back retrospectively too much. I felt like, okay, in order to beat the odds and be a successful actress, I need to tunnel vision, only do this. And so I asked everyone I could. I networked with as many people as I could. I figured out what I needed. I left college with like a semblance of a student reel. Like I, I took student films that I was in, put, I figured out how to edit it myself, put it in a reel. I came out with like a somewhat very basic website um, and a business card that I created for myself. So that when I networked, I had something to give away. But aside from that, there was nothing really I knew about how to pursue this. And I remember asking friends or asking people that I was meeting in the industry, like, okay, how do I get in front of casting directors so they could cast me in their TV shows? Like, I just thought it was that easy. And it wasn't. And I had to kind of really from the ground up, it probably wasn't from like a basic level because I felt like I at least had a student reel, at least had a resume, at least had training on my resume. But I still felt like I was starting from this beginning. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any connections as we talked about. My family's not in the industry. So I had to kind of start from scratch and just 
work to figure out how to get those auditions, how to get an agent, how to get a manager, um, how to get more of a reel, how to get my first co-star, how to get my first day player in a feature film. And like, so I, I worked on that for a really long time. And then at some point realized, well, if this is it, like there's a lot of in between time between jobs, as people would say. And yeah. so I started figuring out like, well, what else can I, what else am I good at? And it was only until like four or five years ago that I started asking myself questions like, what else could I do besides acting? It doesn't mean I have to stop acting, which I always thought I I, I could do this in addition to. Um, and I realized that some of my signature strengths are my ability to communicate and tell stories. And just, you know, one path is through acting. And then there's other ways of telling stories. Um, I wrote a children's book. I'm still working on publishing that, but that's that's another cool. step that I'm doing. Um, and then I started uh, reaching out to people who did similar things to what I wanted to do. And I reached out to someone who was an actress who also turned into a communication coach. Her name's Minna Taylor from Energize Your Voice. And I started asking her questions. I was like, how do I do this? What do I do? And she kind of took me under her wings and um, helped me create curriculums for public speaking classes. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. And I really connected with my students and clients and figured out how to connect with them on, on these type of topics. And I really enjoyed getting to create you know, very fun activities that would help people feel better about themselves in a public speaking environment, how to overcome nerves, how to tell stories, how to, you know, connect with an audience in a way that a lot of people don't really think about too often, as you know. Yeah. And so um, that's how I started with that. And then, you know, around the pandemic, I started figuring out I wanted to do a podcast. So I threw that in the mix as well and just figured out how to do that. Yeah. And so the when you're teaching public speaking and storytelling, is it more in a um, in an actual school in corporate, or is it in the one-on-one -on -one coaching with people? What what is that like? Right now, it's three different ways. I used to teach classes in person prior to the pandemic that were like three-week public speaking classes, and then I would also help um, Minna at Energize Your Voice do a lot of corporate trainings. And then once the pandemic started, everything became virtual, and I really haven't gone off of that sort of. Um, foundation. So for instance, I, I have a membership, it's all virtual, we meet twice a week, where we just, you know, just go over public speaking exercises, mental agility exercises, um, strengthen the ability to think on our feet. And um, other things I talk about are reduction of filler words, the ability to like sort of reducing the ums, the likes, the ers, the us. And uh, I also do webinars online, which are really great. And then I do corporate trainings on zoom as well, or various platforms. And I also do one-on-one -on, -one on Zoom. So virtual stuff has been working really, really well for me. And I've, I'm able to connect with people online just as well as I was in person. So those are the ways that I, I still do it. Yeah. Yeah. The virtual thing is great. Like you could just do so much more and, and work with people that are not necessarily in your city. <laughs> exactly. I have people from Canada tuning in. I have people from Minnesota tuning in. Sometimes I have people overseas that I work with. So this has been great for me and for them. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe I'll now see, I say, and so. 
And so, which is and- fine. That's why I don't say eliminating filler words. I say reducing them because yeah. I do think filler words sometimes really helps our speech and it helps us sort of share our personality, right? We don't want to be always mm-hmm. per- picture perfect cookie cutter speakers. It's yeah. just, it also t- too much of it also helps us sort of lose, uh, lose authenticity, but also lose confidence in, in our ability to speak with confidence and, and speak with authority. So you lose that a little bit too. So there's a fine balance. Yeah. Like I always tell um, my clients to like, to record, we'll do practice interviews or just yes. rec- remember, um, you know, and watch it back and listen to it back. And that's when you start getting annoyed at yourself going, oh, can you stop saying so or um, <laughs> and yeah. you don't know you're doing it until you listen back and go, okay. Let's make a conscious effort to silence is okay. Beautiful. Honestly, silence is more than okay. In fact, people don't realize that there's a pause in your speech until about five seconds or after. So if you pause for a long extended time, our, the audience won't catch it for about five or longer, five seconds or longer. So you're allowed to, to, have a pause for four seconds or three seconds or four and a half seconds and no one will even catch it. It, But it does give the audience a chance to process whatever it is you're saying. So silence is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tend to um, be a slow talker because I'm like, it's probably part of, uh, you know, it's for effect, you know, in storytelling, there's some parts of your story that you want to slow down and maybe whisper a little bit. And then there's others that you want to speed up and you're excited and you'll talk a little faster and a little louder. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I work. (laughs) Yeah. Playing with pace is huge. I'll do exercises sometimes where I'll just do that, where I'll say, okay, let's, let's figure out if, if a five is your natural pace, what does an eight feel like for you? What does a four feel like for you? What is a two or a one or even a 10? And those things will feel differently in our bodies, but we'll start once we feel comfortable doing those different different exercises, we'll be able to utilize those as tools in our tool belt, right? So like you said, there might be instances where you want to play at a much slower pace. And what will that do to your audience? What will that do to your speech in being able to slow down? But also you might really want to speed it up, especially if you have lists, right? Give yourself a nine or a 10, see how fast you can go. And that also can be a way of making your speech stronger, depending on where you are in the speech. So it's fun, fun exercise to play with. Yeah. It's good to push yourself too. Cause like when reels came out, I wasn't good at that. Cause like five easy steps to do this, but right. it's a challenge and you get better at it. The more you do it. hundred um, Wow. Well, was I going to ask you, I was going to ask you. So I've experienced when I've just transitioned this podcast to video as well. And when I was doing audio only, and if I was doing a solo show, I'd have everything I'd want to say written down. I'd go off script, but it was all there. I didn't miss anything. And then when I, the first time I was recording video, I hated the playback. It looked like I was reading or, and so of course I have a video coach and she's like, ditch the script. You got to just like go. And I'm like, but then that case, like I'm not, 
I'm missing things. I'm not an actor. I don't remember things. I don't remember a whole speech. <laughs> um, so any tips on that of how to remember everything that you want to get across? I know I, you can kind of do a little look down at some po key points, but sometimes you still don't get yeah. everything that you wanted out there. So there's a couple things I would suggest for this. So one, um, if you create sort of a post-it note, right, something really short where each thing that you are trying to remember ends up being a short phrase and obviously practice each phrase, right? So if let's say the yeah. phrase is, I want to talk about storytelling and there's a certain thing I want to make sure I mention, you can write that in very small letters or small, yeah. small words, really. Um, and just remind yourself that you'd be, you know, not to forget that small detail and have that post-it or that note instead of down where you can look down and look up have it very close to where the camera is right so maybe right. the right of your screen or something so that it's not super far from the camera lens and that way you can do a quick look and then come right back to whoever you're speaking to so that's yeah. one and then the second thing I would actually recommend and sort of a similar note is that sometimes, and this is a really great memorization tip, but it works well for this purpose as well. Um, have you ever tried taking the first letter of each word that you're trying to memorize, for instance, or look at? Have you ever done that before? So yep. it's a really quick way for brains to remember things. I actually do this with my lines for auditions and stuff as well. Let's say the the line is, um, I love you, right? And you're like, okay, obviously that's an easy one to remember. But let's say it was longer. If you just write I-L-U-I-L-Y, you'll be able to really quickly look at I-L-Y and know that that's the line you're trying to say. And this works for right. very long lines as well. Our our, our minds are actually really quick in being able to see a bunch of letters. And if that let those letters correspond with words, our minds will immediately correspond those words. So all you need to see are a group of letters and you'll be able to go, great, I know the next line. So you can use that in, in writing down your notes that you're trying to quickly grab. You could just write the first letter of each of each word, essentially, and that helps you quickly grab and go. Right, right. And like, I think, I guess with everything, it's, you know, practice, you eventually get it. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. um, you know, the video, I will get better at that. But I do want to do public speaking in the future. I'm like, how am I going to remember everything I want to say? But I guess you just keep, you know, you know, even if you know, like the key stories you want to tell. Yeah. You know, you, oh, it's you do tend to tell the same stories over and over again. So it's just For like, sure. oh, that story. Okay, here you go. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, if you think about like even uh, I'm studying right now with a client, MLK Jr.'s famous, I have a dream speech. And that really, I don't know if everyone knows this, but that's really a combination of a couple different speeches, right? He was able to start a speech that he was probably planning to do. And then someone in the audience yelled out, tell him about your dream. And all of a sudden he was able to con connect whatever it is he was currently working on and connect a speech that he had already done a few weeks before. So this is something that our mind does. We're able to hold on to different things. And then in the right time with enough practice, and like you said, ex practice and experience and training, you're able to combine different ideas that you've practiced. So like you said, if you remember these different stories and you've practiced them even individually, you'd very easily be able to at some point combine those two topics and combine those stories and be able to weave into them easier. So it's something we can train ourselves to do. Right, right. Cool. Yeah. What else you got? 
<laughs> yeah. So, I mean, one thing I wanted to talk about, because we, we talked a little bit about this before, is, is tips for storytelling, right? And right. I know your clients, like, like you just said, we share stories all the time. Um, and the trick is that you know, there's different tricks that you can do to practice. The first thing I always tell people are define your audience. And, and this is something I think you really connect yep. with as well, because of, of the stuff that you train people with. But Define your audience, figure out exactly who you're talking to, what is specific about them, even, you know, creating little avatars for who they might be um, and speak to them. Think about the questions they want to know and the questions they want answered. And whenever you're telling a story, really think about them in mind. Um, and this could be as simple as, you know, defining an audience for, let's say, mentors on the mic. You know, you ask yourself, are these people who are just starting out in the industry? Are these people who've been in the industry and they're veterans, right? A podcast for veterans of the podcast, they're going to be very different. I won't need to define terms for them. They know it so well. But if yeah. you're just starting, you need those terms defined. So those are very specific in how you're creating stories. Um, a, a tip that I like to talk about, and, and you were saying this before, we were talking about this, I think, before, which is um, time yourself right? We want to know what one minute feels like in the body. We want to know what right. three minute intuitively feels like in the body. So when you are practicing your stories, practice the three minute version, practice a one minute version and practice a 30 second version. And that way, if you're like, you know, doing an elevator pitch and you need to tell a very, very quick version of who you are and in sort of tangent to other things, you know how to do that easily and without fail. You know exactly what's important enough to talk about and, and, Feel free to really play around with it. Figure out what are the most important things you want to talk about to with keeping in mind who your audience is, right? So the three-minute version of what you're going to say and, and who you are and your, and your description of who you are, for instance, that three-minute version is going to have all the details. It's going to have a story. Maybe it's going to have, it's, there's going to be yeah. so many things there. But the 30-second version that's supposed to be for you, Diane, is going to be very different for someone else in the industry. And and then, you know, and even another person in the industry, right? The 30-second version of who I am is different. So you want to time yourself so that it feels really good in your body. You could do a quick version. You could do a longer version, um, a one-minute version, maybe for a podcast, if you will. So there's, there's, um, there's very specific reasons as to why you would want to use each one. But you want to, you know, in real life, you don't have a timer next to you. So you want to yeah. practice doing it out loud and timed to get an idea of what would be the best story for the audience you're telling. Um, and the last thing I wanted to talk about was uh, in storytelling, it's really, really important to use your five senses. So what I mean by that is ask yourself things that you could be seeing or feeling or hearing in a story and that will get communicated and visualized by your audience better. So if you're telling a story, and even if it's something insignificant, like if I'm telling a story about my day, if I mention the the crackling of the eggs or the bacon that I'm cooking, and I describe that for you, it's so much easier for you to visualize that bacon, right? If I say the sizzling yeah. crack of the bacon and then the eggs as I, you know, put them onto my plate and it's oh, when I bite into it and I, I I take my fork and knife and I, I, I cut into that egg and all the yolk comes out. Really, you can, you can see it. You, you've done, you've seen yeah. that before. So it's easy for our brains to attach itself to it. You want to be able to play with in your story 
what are things that you hear? What are things that you see? What are things that you smell? Smell is a huge, powerful sense that people can really connect to. And it really does help whoever you're talking to connect with your story. Doesn't mean you have to do all five senses, but definitely yeah. throw in a couple details of each and it's much easier for your audience to connect with you. And it makes it more interesting than I had a breakfast of eggs and bacon. Exactly. <laughs> or I had a morning that was really chaotic, right? All of a sudden you're talking yeah. about your morning and how crazy it was. It's it's a little less, it, it can disconnect you from your audience without, I think, those five senses or without bringing in something powerful in terms of your imagery. Yeah, yeah. And so for your podcast, The Mentors on the Mic. Yes. What is the most powerful interview moment that you've had? Ooh, you know what's interesting about my podcast? I don't know if you feel the same way. If you asked me that same question, but about any of my individual interviews, I'd go in on the details. I'd be I mm -hmm. speak about each interview with such a passion and excitement. Yeah. I really love them. I'd say one of the most powerful ones that affected me was um oh I would say Marta Kaufman. I had the creator of Friends and Grace and Frankie on the podcast. Yeah. And she was someone I really wanted to have on and and you know, she's such a powerful storyteller and creator. And I really connected with how she started and how she also started in theater and she created, you know, different plays before moving to California and deciding to do television. And there were a lot of things that we talked about in terms of, you know, as an actor that I really appreciated and really connected with. And, and she had a lot of advice for actors, but also just, uh, you know, her, her, her connection with creativity was really inspiring. The, the idea that she had created all these ideas, she wasn't super attached to any one of them sometimes. And there were certain ideas that she had. She was like, you know, maybe one day I'll tell the story. No one's bitten yet so far. And then she proceeded to tell the story that I really enjoyed and found fascinating. She's like, yeah, no one's bought it yet, but we'll see. One day. And I, <laughs> I love that relationship with her creative, her creative babies, if you will. The idea that it'll work out. It'll be okay. And she's not attached to any one of them. She has a few of them. And if something works out great and a lot of the stuff that, you know, she put herself in a place of being creative and being out there and pitching things. And sometimes things just happened. It just worked out because she wasn't attached to one specific thing. She had a lot of things cooking. And then sometimes like, you know, friends or the, the show before friends dream on was something that she didn't think would end up happening. She didn't even care if it did. She didn't really want it to happen. It was, it's sort of an interesting mm -hmm. story, but I think that that's important in anyone who's creating to not be so attached to only one thing. And, and that might deter you or might prohibit you from all the other opportunities that come your way. So that was very yeah, powerful. I relate to that. I'm always telling people like, don't put, like for a musician and you're putting everything on this one single. Yes. And if it doesn't work out, like it's not, life doesn't end <laughs> or you're putting an actor, you're putting everything on this one part you got. Exactly. You, it's finally your big break. And then nothing happens afterwards. Again, yeah. your life's not over. You're no. creative. You want to have a body of work, don't you? Yeah. Exactly. And it's the same. I mean, especially like you said, as an actor, like if you know something's coming in like nine months, you know, it's going to be released and you're so excited for it. It doesn't mean that the next nine months you do nothing. Right. Yeah. As you know, in PR, I mean, you were talking about this before. 
you got to do stuff up until those nine months. You got to start yeah. preparing all this stuff that you could do and um, and working on other things so that more things kind of come out. Sometimes people, actors have a really good year. You look at like, I think Ryan Gosling, for instance, is an example. He had like four movies come out in one year. He didn't do all those four movies at the same time. It just yeah. happened that it was the year of Ryan Gosling that year, right? And so yeah. there's just something to be said about not resting on that one song or that one acting project or that one audition and and constantly creating, constantly putting yourself out there. Yeah. Wonderful. So you have a couple freebies. I, mean, I do. What are the links to that? We'll put that yeah. in the show notes. I'll send you, I'll send you them. So the first okay, one is. I'm um I have a five tips of for powerful successful storytelling that I love and that I always start off with in my intensives and with my clients and so that'll be free along with a five senses worksheet. So if you connect it to that okay, at all, I have cool. this really pretty worksheet where you can write down details for each sense in kind of figuring out what works for your story. Because like I said, you don't have to use all five senses, but if you decide out of the brainstorm of five senses that you're going to use two really powerful things that came out to you play around with that in your story right so i have the five senses worksheet as well as the five tips five tips to power powerful storytelling that i'll send you um and also if anyone's interested in my membership i'm offering uh, a free session of my membership so like i said and you know every month i meet with my my membership and my community. And I offer two practice sessions where we go over different skill sets. And so feel free to write to me cool. and I'm happy to give you a free session. Cool. Wonderful. Well, this is fantastic. Um, what is your why? Why do you do what you do? Hmm. That's a really good question because a lot of things come to mind and I'm trying to figure out how to connect them all into one. I'm all about purpose. What is the purpose behind? What impact do you want to make? And also like, you know, from that early age where you were wanting to do acting, like what is it that was behind that? Yeah. I would say it all comes down to inspiring people to make their dreams come true. Yeah. So the acting that I go for and, and the projects that I love always have that sort of inspirational element to it. And then even my coaching and communications is really all about the, the joy that happens when clients get better at what they do and they love to do what they do. And that can really be a powerful resource for them in their communication and their public speaking and their work. So I would say that's what thrills me the most. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to super fan attraction. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review so that others can find this show as well. To connect with me, I'm Diane Foy Arts on all socials and in the Superfan Attraction group on Facebook.